The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath... They should not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they should not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Uh, Thank you so much for how you have spoken to us through it. Um, Father, we uh, just open our hearts and ears to listen to you today. Praise your Holy Spirit. Uh, will speak to us. Uh, pray for our brother Ryan as he speaks. God, just give him the clarity and wisdom to communicate your word uh, as you would have it, and uh, Lord, use him in our lives today. Pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you, Ethan. Good morning, guys. Um, well, welcome. If this is your first time here, I want to welcome you to Gray City. My name is Ryan uh, Ferrer. I am uh, I serve as in capacity of a deacon here at Gray City for since we started. Um, and for those of you who uh, th- this is your first time, I'm I'm glad to see you. And for those of you who have been coming, welcome again. I want to start off with uh, uh, if you can indulge me. If you're a father, or a soon-to-be father, or a stepfather, or a father figure, could you stand up? Amazing. Thank you. So keep standing up, keep standing up, keep standing up, keep standing up. And if you guys are close to a father, could you just, uh, we're going we're gonna to pray for them. So uh, if you can just uh, extend your hand or if you can hold them or just extend a hand to a father that's near you and let's pray for them together. Is that okay? Can we do that? Or let's, let's do that, church. Father, Lord, we want to thank you for these men who are here today. Uh, we want to thank you that you have given them uh, the the capacity and the, the opportunity to be a father. Lord, we, uh, we know we're not perfect. Um, and Lord, I'm just thankful that there is grace and truth in Jesus Christ that we can, we can be a good dad um, and we don't have to continue to, to strive to be better, but because Jesus has done what needed to be done, Lord, we can just love our kids. We can just love our spouse. We can just love people, Lord. So I pray for these fathers to continue to grow in the gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. You can get a seat. Um, we're going to go ahead and start with a video. So if you can, guys, give me two and a half minutes of your time, go ahead and uh, see this vid- watch this video. So how do you guys feel? Okay? It's crazy, right? How many of you guys were um, alive in 92? I know we have some young, um, some young co- uh, community 
and believers here, and uh, I'm always, I'm always um, reminded of how old I'm, I'm getting. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be close to 40 soon, and and I realize that I'm getting old. I pulled my back in Memorial Day, and I want to say I did it because I did something cool. But I was just lifting a table and I pulled it, so <laughs> it's pretty bad. But today we're going to, the reason I showed you that video, because I wanted to show you a couple of things. There's a race, right? There's a race. And then there's a father. And then there's a prize. So I want you to remember that video as we continue to talk about Hebrews. Now we started at Hebrews with Randall a few weeks ago. We're in chapter one. And, and what the author is saying is that Jesus is far superior than anything else. Do you agree with that? Are you with me? See, the, the original audience of Hebrew were mess, uh, uh, Messianic Christians, Hebrew Christians, who, who was facing persecution from Rome, right? So they were facing persecution from Emperor Claudius and Emperor Nero during that time. And at the same time, they were confessing that Jesus... Yeshua was the Messiah. So on the other end of that spectrum, the Jewish community was disowning them. So during being persecuted on one end, and their community was disowning them, and they were right in the middle. And the author is pleading with them, is giving them uh, you know, an argument of why perseverance in your faith in Jesus is important. And I want to kind of get, get into that and dig, deep, dig deeper on why that's important for our time. Right? Because we can't really get the idea or the central idea for Hebrews if we don't know the context or the background behind it. So if you can indulge me, we're going to go uh, on a field trip. We're going to go to Exodus and Numbers. You guys know the story of uh, Moses, right? Yes? All right. So in Moses, uh, the, the story is that Moses was chosen to be a leader to, to get Israelites out of Egypt. Are you with me? Yes? And the, and the, the, the way it happened was that um, God gave uh, the ten plagues, right? Do you guys remember what the ten plagues were? Rocks, locusts, flies, right? Darkness. River of Blood was the first one. And one of the last ones, do you guys know what the last one was? The firstborn. And what was important about the firstborn dying was the idea of what? What was instituted? What was established? The Passover. The Passover. Right? And the Passover was that they would have to kill a lamb, an a unstained, clean lamb, and they would have to put the blood of that little lamb on the doorpost, and they would have to eat the lamb with the bread and the wine, right? Now, I want you to think about that because I don't want you to miss the story of the Bible. During the Passover, Moses was told by God, you will be saved if you are under my love, my mercy. So you will put this blood in the doorpost of your home and you will eat wine, you will drink wine, you will eat bread and lamb. Now, what happened during the Last Supper with Jesus? Do you guys remember? 
Jesus, on the night that he was going to be betrayed, right, he took his disciples and said, let's have, let's have a dinner. And laid before them was a table with bread and wine. And what was missing on the, t- on the plate? The lamb. The lamb. Do you know why? Because he was the lamb to be slain. Guys, the Bible is so much more than a book of rules. This book talks about and points to Jesus from the beginning, from Genesis, all the way to Revelation. And I don't want you to miss that. So when you're picking up your Bible and you're reading it, know that this is the Word of God. Okay? So let's get started. If you have your Bibles, let's start with uh, Hebrew chapter 3, verse 7. And it starts, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. Now that's important. One, therefore is there for something, right? When you see therefore, you ask, what is it there for? And it's there for something. And it's talking about chapter 3. In chapter, th- in chapter 3, verse 1, uh, the author is uh, making the case that Jesus is better than Moses. Right? Moses is a revered prophet of that time for the Jewish community. So when, when the author is saying this, he's making a point. If Moses has so much glory and has so much glory for God and by God, how much more glory does the Son of, of God has? And that's what he's pleading. So that's why uh, at the beginning of verse 7, it's saying, therefore. And then after that, as the Holy Spirit says, then it tells you the passage that is connected all the way through Exodus and Numbers. So if you have your Bibles, you have, if you have your Bibles, you have your pen, I want you to, what I want you to do is put a parenthesis on the, uh, starting at today on verse 7. So as, as soon as the, that word today, you put a parenthesis on that, and then you end the parenthesis on uh, verse 11. Can you guys do that? It's a parenthetical statement. So basically, if you took that out, if you took, you do, you remove, there, remove the, the parentheses, it would read, therefore, and then it will jump on to verse 12, and then it will tell you what the author is exhorting or what he's encouraging his readers are. So it would say, therefore, take care. Therefore, exhort one another. Okay? So if you have your Bibles, make sure you make that note. So when, when we're looking at that story, we jump all the way to Exodus, right? We talked about how G, uh, God brought them out of Egypt, showed them the plagues. And then when they showed them the plagues, he said, uh, go ahead and tell Pharaoh that, to let my people go. And the people started, at least one or two or three million Jews were actually uh, rescued during that time. So that's an amount of people. That's a huge amount of people. Right? So what else? What, uh, what other things were, were given or what was showed? The Red Sea, wasn't that? The Red Sea was done. The Red Sea was split for them to walk through. Right? 
Not only that, God showed his power as a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And when they were hungry, God provided food. And when they were thirsty, God provided water. And what was the response of the Israelites during that time? Do you guys remember? A lot of the things that they said was in the same thread as this. Why did God bring us out of Egypt to die? Why would we go out of Egypt and die? It's the same question that they kept asking despite, despite the promises and the glory of God showing up. For 40 years, God provided for them. God showed them who he is. But the Israelites continued to test and quarrel with God. Now, I don't know if you guys have any, um, who, by show of hands, who has toddlers right now? Toddlers, two years old? Okay, okay. who knows a toddler? Okay, everyone does. <laughs> I have a toddler. My wife and I have a, a two-year-old. And, and the funny thing about toddlers is that you, you tell them one thing, and I think it registers in a different way. You, I tell my son, I said, don't jump. And I think he hears how high. <laughs> or don't touch how hot. I, I don't understand. Like, son, believe me that I, that I love you, so don't do this. But I think the registration in their head is, no, I want to do it. I don't believe you. And it's the same idea in our story. It's the same idea. The Israelites continued to ask this question. In Exodus 17, 7, I'll read it to you. He, this is God say, uh, saying this. He called the name of the place Massah, that's the Hebrew word for testing, and Meribah, or contention, because of the contending of the Israelites and because of, the te- of their testing of the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? So when you're reading Hebrews, and you go back, and it says, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. He's talking about the Israelites in Massah, at Massah, or at Meribah. He is putting the audience at their own Meribah. And we are being put in our own Meribah today, in our own contention. And that's, it's, it's, this is a weighty passage. And I want you to kind of get ready for that. Because I want, I, want, I want to show you how heavy some of what the author is saying here. So we continue with, with verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. 40 years. How long, how long have you seen God work in your lives or someone else's lives? 
how far back can you look in your own life? Can you see that God has provided for you numerous times? Has it been 40 years? 20, 25, maybe just last night. But the question is, the question is, do you trust God? Do you believe God? Because the Israelites did not believe. And that was the reason in verse 11 when, they, when God said, they shall not enter my rest. And as the story goes in Numbers 14, the whole generation, except for Jacob and Caleb, passed away in the wilderness. Maybe you're asking a question, man, am I beloved? Do I believe? So let's dig deep. Let's dig into the, the word of God. It says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Do we know what unbelieving, an unbelieving heart is? There was a, a book called Soul Searching by a sociologist named Christian Smith. It's a great book. Uh, I have not read the whole thing. I actually heard uh, uh, Matt Chandler preach on it. So I, I looked at the book and I started reading on the books. And if you have time, look, look it up. It's Christian Smith, Soul Searching. And what they did, what these researchers did, um, they followed American teenagers and asked the question, what are their beliefs? They followed them from 18 to about 28. And some of the things that I've read was amazing and disturbing. Because he coined the phrase there, and he called it, he called the belief that they found in this survey, in this research, as Christian, moralistic, therapeutic deism. It's a mouthful. But let me kind of break it down. Christian, because they believe in a God. Moralistic, because they believe that because there's a God, then I have to obey. Therapeutic, because God exists for him to make me feel good, make me feel better. And everything else exists to make me love or to make me feel significant. I don't know where you stand in your belief. I don't know where you stand in your trust, in your faith. But as someone who's been called a believer, someone who calls himself a believer and a disciple of Jesus, there's a point in our faith that we ask, is, does my belief reflect my actions? Does it reflect my obedience? Now, I don't want you to get hung up and say, well, that's exactly what I've been telling people. Obey, obey, obey. But if your obedience is not rooted in grace, 
then I can tell you, as Jesus said in, in this book, your obedience can be disobedience. When Jesus was being uh, questioned by the Sadducees and the Pharisees, he said something amazing. He said, after the Sadducees had presented him something and trying to entrap them, he said this, have you read what God has said to you? Have you read what God has said to you? Now, at first glance, it doesn't make sense. But if you look at it, there's a verb confusion there, right? Have you read what God said to you? We don't usually read what, was being, what is being said, right? We usually read what is being written. Jesus' point is that what, this book, the scriptures, that, continue, that he continues to say that points to me, speaks to you daily. There's always a question among friends, among other believers, I don't know what God wants me to do. I feel lost. I don't know what God is saying. And the Bible tells you, I am speaking here in this word. Know me, love me, for I am here, as the Holy Spirit says. If there's one thing that's quite hard, that I, uh, I was speaking to a couple of friends, and I don't know if you guys have heard about uh, life coaches. I think they've existed beforehand, you know, but there's so many life coaches now. Did you guys know that? It's a booming industry. It's $9.9 billion in 2011. And a friend of mine, uh, we, he and I were talking, and he told me, you know, there are times in my life where I felt lost. And I didn't even know if what I believed actually reflected what I really believed. I was a Christian my whole life but I don't think I knew Jesus. And I've searched through career. I've searched through my wife. I've searched through my kids. And it kept me wanting. So people right now are searching. And I don't know if you're in that boat. I don't know if you're, you're sitting here and you're thinking, I don't know what to do. But here's one thing I, I want you to know. That Jesus, Jesus calls you to follow him. He calls you to make him his, your priority. When we put anything else above him, it leaves you wanting. You feel incomplete. Now, how does the author address those questions, those issues? And like I told you before, if you look at the beginning of verse 7 and you jump to verse 12, then the author then tells you 
how he's dealing with this issue, with his audience and with us. So let's jump in. In verse 12, if you have your Bibles, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. And in verse 13, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So two things. One, an evil, unbelieving heart leads to falling away. And two, the deceitfulness of sin hardens your heart. Do you guys know what deceitfulness entails? When you say deceitfulness or deceit, I had to look it up. I thought I knew, but not quite. So deceitfulness is the distortion of the truth with the idea of misleading someone. is a distortion of truth with the idea of misleading someone. If you look back in Genesis, the serpent deceived Adam and Eve. And he did it in such a crafty way. Even Genesis describes the serpent as very crafty. How did he do it? One, he asked, Did God really say that? Did God really say that? And then he distorted the truth. You're not going to die. You're surely not going to die. If you eat this fruit, you surely will not die. And thirdly, he said, if you eat this fruit, you will be like God. You will be like God. Now, that may seem far-fetched, but what I want you to think is how that works with our lives today. How sin comes at you, how how sin comes at me, at us, in an inconceivable, crafty way. Are there times, have there been times in your life where you feel that you're doing God's work? good things for God. Or maybe your intentions for church is that I want to go to church every day or every Sunday. Or maybe your intention is I want to read the Bible daily. I want to read the Bible daily. Could that be corrupted? Could that lead to disobedience? Could that be a way that deceiver use as deceit. And it has, and he has done that. In ways, in convictions, in guilt, in loneliness, in depression, he has used good things for God and made it for yourself, made it for ourselves. And that's what's hard about looking at the deceitfulness of sin and unbelieving heart because it's such a minute detail 
but it's such a big impact. Such a big impact. And when, when the, the verse says, leading you to fall away from God, from the living God, this is not a simple twist of your neck. This is not, oops, I slipped. The Greek word used for this is pretty strong. It's emphatic. It is a deliberate, deliberate turn or withdrawing away from your confession. It is a deliberate phrasing, a deliberate 180-degree turn of you saying, I don't believe in what God has said. It's the same way the Israelites said or done what they did. I do not believe what God is saying at this moment. I do not believe the miracles he has done. Have we been like that? Have we had times in our lives where we said, I don't believe? And if we have, what have we done? What have we asked? What have we prayed? Now, I know I told you in the beginning that this is a heavy passage, and it is. It was heavy for me to study it. Jesus asks the question, am I looking at my heart? Are you looking at your heart, church? Are you asking these questions? But what I don't want you to feel discouraged is that the author does not leave you in that way. Next week, next week, Randall should be talking about rest. We're going to be in chapter 4. So I don't want you to leave here today and thinking, man, Ryan, you bummed me out, man. No, but I want to move you to worship. I want to move you to a gospel-centered worship. But before we get there, before we get there, just like the author is doing, he's challenging you. He's asking you. He's weighing some things that are heavy in our hearts. Because belief is not a simple mental ascent. It's not theology alone. It is this and it is this. So I want you to know today, today, the urgency is there today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your heart. In verse 13, it says, But exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. Do you guys see the urgency on the passage? Today, if you hear his voice, today, exhort one another. Today, do not harden your hearts. Today. What is today? Today, right? What is tomorrow when it comes? Today. What is the next day, the following day when it comes? Today. Today. The urgency is today, guys. Today. As I was reading this, it kept coming back. Today, today, today. 
Look at your heart. In verse 13, he says, exhort one another. The word exhort in Greek is parakaleo. And what's amazing about that is it's the same root word for the helper. When Jesus said, I will give you the helper, the Holy Spirit. So imagine the power behind that word when he said, exhort one another today. He's asking you to call alongside someone with you, to walk with you. We are bent and our natural posture is to lean towards something else other than God. And his call is to exhort one another today. And it's not a single, single way. It is you and me. It's the person next to you. Exhort one another. Encourage one another. Encourage one another. Do not let it go a, a day pass by without encouraging someone. As long as it is today. Today. Encourage someone. You know, a pastor once said that the most encouraging part of a Sunday service is the first 30 minutes of the day and the last 30. Do you guys know why? And it's especially important for a church plant. Guys, the first 30 minutes here, the first hour here, you have every single volunteer that shows up and gathers and praises. And it's hard, right? It's tough. And I'm looking, and I'm looking, the, I'm looking at the faces today that was here today who prepared the food in, this morning for the fathers. Thank you. And I, I was looking, and I was hearing A preparing here, uh, and Billy worshiping. And today, after this, we're, we're going to be here, and we're going to be breaking down. And today, the encouragement is today, walk with me. Walk with someone. Encourage someone. Today, especially it's Father's Day, encourage a dad. Encourage a a future dad. Because I know when I had my first one, I did not realize how hard it was. It's still hard, but it's amazing. Today, guys, today, don't forget that. Today, exhort one another, today. And he goes on and says, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Do you guys see what the author is doing? One, he started with the Holy Spirit. Said it for today, if you hear his voice. It starts out with that. And secondly, secondly, he's asking you, he says, take care. Take care of your heart, lest there be an evil, unbelieving heart. And then he moves on to everyone. He says, exhort one another today. And then he brings it back. And then he brings it back. Why? How can we do that? How can we do that? Because we are sharing in Christ. 
for you and I, for we have come to share in Christ. That is the call, a heavenly calling that's based on Christ alone. That is amazing. See, the discouraging part in the beginning was needed for the readers to know. Do not be like your forefathers as they have hardened their hearts during the exodus. But take care and exhort and do that because you know who you are and you who you are with. For you are under Christ. So what I want you to understand is that the passage doesn't end there. He continues to ask in verses 15, reiterates the point of who rebelled and who disobeyed. He wanted to make a point. He wanted to make sure that the Hebrew Christians did not miss what he was saying. And at the end, at the end, he says this, verse 15. Well, let's actually go to verse 18. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. God promised them the promised land, and that was the rest that he promised to them. But the author here will continue to talk about rest in chapter 4, and that's what we put our hope in. Jesus says, come to me, all you are heavy and laden, and I will give you rest. A few weeks ago in our city group, I asked that question, what is rest? What is rest to you? And we had a lot of, que- a lot of answers, and you probably have too. But I think the better question is, who is your rest who is your rest? It's a hard passage, but it comes with a hope. It always does. It always does. One of the things that Grace City has done in the last couple of years have been going into community and providing a lot of things um, either by volunteering uh, in communities or doing the uh, sports camp. But none of this, none of those plans would ever come to fruition without you, without the body. And that is the one of the most important thing that the church exists today is that we walk together. We encourage one another. We serve the community. But none of those are rooted unless we know who we share it with. For we share in Christ. Amen? Are you with me, church?
I wanted to go back just to remind you of what the research said. The Christian moralistic therapeutic deism. And I want to read a couple of things before we end today. It says here, it's moralistic because it teaches that the central living, central to living a good and happy life is being a good moral person. That means being nice, being kind, pleasant, respectful, responsible, at work on self-improvement, taking care of one's health, and doing one's best to be successful is vital. It's therapeutic because the radical transformation of Christian theology and Christian beliefs replaces the sovereignty of God with the sovereignty of the self. It is central or centrally about feeling good, happy, secure, at peace. It is about attaining subjective well-being, being able to resolve problems, getting along amicably or amiably with other people. In this therapeutic age, human problems are reduced to pathologies in need of a treatment plan. Sin is simply excluded from the picture, and doctrines as central as the wrath and justice of God are discarded as out of step with the times and unhelpful to the project of self-actualization. Do you feel yourself standing in there? Does it feel like it's describing you or us? See, Jesus and the church does not exist to make you feel good. The lies that Jesus and the church exist to make you feel loved, significant, validated, entertained, and charged up. This gospel ameliorates distressing symptoms. It makes you feel better. The logic of this therapeutic gospel is a Jesus for me, who meets individual desires and assuages, psychic aches. That sounds good. At first glance, I'm like, man, I want some of that. But it leaves you wanting. It will leave you wanting. If your belief ends, starts and ends this way, let's ask the question, do I believe God? Do I know Jesus? Or do we just know about him? The question is, have I tried Jesus or have I tried myself? Because most of the time we've tried ourselves and not Jesus. The challenge today, guys, the challenge today, church, is to hear his voice. Hear his voice. And I pray as a church that we can walk alongside you in this journey. When you look at Derek Redmond, let's go back to Redmond. You see that there's a race, and we're all in a race. There's a starting line, there's the middle, and there's the finish line. We are all starting at the starting line. And we're all running our race. And the question is, do you want to finish the race because you want to feel good or you want to obey? Or do you know that at the end of the race, the prize it always has been and always will be Jesus? 
despite the circumstances, despite the hamstring that can break, God is with you. God is there. Jesus is the final prize. There's nothing else. There's nothing else. I pray that this is something that we can continue to weigh ourselves with, that we can continue to challenge our hearts. I pray that we can continue to look at Jesus and we can listen to his voice. Can we pray together, church? Father, we... Lord, we come before you. We come before you, Lord, uh, that there's a heavy heart and there's a heavy question. That our belief may be real. Lord, I pray that as we continue to struggle and fight and, and look into that, Lord, we realize we align ourselves in the grace of God, first and foremost, that we are saved by Christ alone, by grace alone. Lord, I want to push our church to worship away from discouragement, away from loneliness, away from depression, away from moralistic, therapeutic deism, and to the real belief in Jesus Christ and who he is. Lord, the deceitfulness of sin is heavy, it's real, and it's a lie. So Lord, show your truth and your grace to us. Lord, I pray for every single person here, either a believer or a non-believer, Lord, that there is a stirring up of the soul, of the heart, I pray that there is exhorting that happens, there's encouraging that happens every day, today, Lord, today. For I thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you for your love. I thank you that you continue to shower us in abundance of your grace. Lord, we thank you, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.